Live distinctly in this world by guarding your tongue and glorifying God with your tongue. Well, good morning, WSBC. What a pleasure it is to be here again with you this morning. And I want to bring you greetings from Christ Covenant Church. Uh, where I pastor, um, where we attend, and to let you know that we do have an official name now, uh, formerly known as Reformed Presbyterian Fellowship. Uh, now we are known as Christ Covenant Church, so I thank you for your continued prayers for us. Well, the last time that I was here to share God's Word with you, I spoke on Ephesians 2, and if you remember, I was speaking about the beautiful basics of the gospel from that chapter of how the Bible shows us that first we are dead in sin, we are the dead man, and then with new life in Christ we become the alive man, and then we are not just alive, but we are called to be the working man or the working person. And I shared with you from that text about how in that moment in Ephesians 2, Paul doesn't give us very specific applications of what that looks like in the Christian life, rather is is point in that text is to help us meditate on those truths. But I did share with you, I believe, how in chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, Paul, that's what he's doing to just expand on the truths of the gospel, the doctrine. But then in Ephesians chapter 4 through 6, Paul sort of turns, and in the second half of the letter, he's going to give very specific application and say, okay, now as a Christian, this is how it's going to play out in your life. And so I thought it was fitting to kind of tie up a loose end and say, let's look now at a specific application of what Paul is talking about earlier in the letter. How does this play out in the Christian life? When you are the alive person through the power of the Holy Spirit and you become the working person, how is this going to play out in your life as an individual Christian? But also, why is this important for the life of the church? And so Paul is going to help us do that now. Give us a very specific application in chapter 4. So I'm going to invite you now to turn with me in your bulletin or in your Bible, Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll simply be looking at two verses this morning with God's help. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 and 30. What you're about to hear now is the very Word of God. Paul writes, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Praise God for His holy word. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as human beings, we have invented many wonderful tools. Uh, we have many different kinds of tools at our disposal, tools that could be used both to benefit society on the one hand, or that could be used to bring about much damage to society. The splitting of the atom, for example. On the one hand, it was meant to bring somewhat efficient, clean energy. 
On the other hand, it also brought about the atomic bomb and the murder, essentially the killing of thousands of people. And it also threatens millions of people today with apocalyptic consequences. There are other tools at our disposal as human beings that we've invented, cars, cell phones, knives that we have, all these different tools that could be used on the one hand for a lot of good, but on the other hand for a lot of evil. But there's one tool that is both extremely beautiful and extremely destructive that we all possess. A tool more beautiful and more dangerous than atomic energy, your cell phone, your computer, your car, and any other myriad of inventions. Friends, I can't think of perhaps a more important tool that we all possess that could be used both for the church and against the church than the human tongue. The tongue, as Paul says here, can either be used to destroy the church or to build up the church. The tongue is a powerful tool. How are you using yours? The main thing that I think Paul wants us to get from just these two verses this morning, and therefore the main idea of this sermon is very simply this. Church, live distinctly in this world by guarding your tongue and glorifying God with your tongue. Live distinctly in this world by guarding your tongue and glorifying God with your tongue. It's a little difficult to read these words and not think about James's letter to the church and how in James 3, if you remember, he has also very pointed words about the tongue there. Uh, similar to Paul here, his point is that the tongue is such a small tool that can be used for powerful purposes, either good or evil. You remember how James talks about the tongue as being like the rudder of a ship, or the James talks about the tongue being like the bit of a bridle on a horse. It's such a small thing, but it has the power to move and, and, and to manipulate these very powerful machines. James also says the tongue is capable of great damage. It's, it's like a spark that can set alight a huge forest fire. So Paul likewise here says, as James does, watch what's coming out of your mouth. So the first thing that I think we need to see in this text is, as Paul says, put off corrupting talk. That belongs to the old self, to the dead man. Put off corrupting talk. Now I do wonder, what was the specific context that Paul was addressing here in this letter to the Ephesians? I mean, why in this list, if you have your Bibles open, starting at verse 25, he gives five different things that we're supposed to put off and things that we're supposed to put on as Christians. Why does he single out the tongue and what we use coming out of our mouths? I mean, was there a unique problem with this in the church in Ephesus? Was Paul aware of something? I mean, was it the church had many converts who were former sailors and they had salty mouths? And Paul's saying, you know, you need to change that. I mean, Ephesus was right by the ocean. I don't know. Was there a lot of those vulgarity and dirty talk going on? Or is Paul aware that there were perhaps some slanderers and gossips in the church? Maybe he's thinking about a situation like Philippi. You remember that letter, how Paul in that, in that letter, he singles out two people in that church who are slandering each other and, and using abusive language against each other to disrupt the church, Iodia and Syntyche. 
Is that what Paul has in mind here? Something like that? Or is maybe he thinking of something like Titus's situation that he's going to write on later? Or Titus as a pastor in his church, what is he dealing with? He's got false teachers coming in, disrupting the church, teaching false doctrine. Now Paul calls them empty talkers and deceivers. He tells Titus, you need to straighten those guys out because they're disrupting whole families. Is that the kind of corrupting talk that Paul has in mind here? Or it could even be, Paul's remembering when he was in Ephesus with these people. Remember how in Acts 19, Paul is there preaching the Gospel and he has Jews coming up to him and speaking evil against the Gospel. They call the Gospel, in fact, uh, evil. Is that something that Paul had in mind? While it could be Philippi or it could be Titus, could be his own personal example in Ephesus, I think what Paul actually has in mind here is Old Testament Israel and the Old Testament church and their experience in the wilderness. I think that's what Paul's got in mind here. Now, why do I say that? Am I just making things up again? I don't think so. I think that's likely the case because of what Paul says in the next verse, in verse 30. He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, what does that have to do with Israel in the wilderness? Well, Paul, as we saw earlier in the service, he's actually quoting there from Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10. And what he's doing, he, uh, Isaiah there, Isaiah there is talking of complaining Israel in the wilderness. It says, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, God turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. But what is Paul saying there? He's saying, watch your mouth. Don't be like the church in the wilderness because God is not pleased when you use your tongue to blaspheme him to speak evil of his leaders, and to cause division among other believers. He's not happy with that. It didn't turn out for well for Israel in the wilderness. God became their enemy in the way that they used their tongues. It won't turn out well for us either if it goes on in the church. And Paul's warning here his readers not to make those same mistakes because sin, in all its forms, especially and these five things he lists in verse 25 through 31, but especially the use of the tongue, causes disunity in the church. And that's why it grieves the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who created that unity. Put off corrupting talk. Grieves the Holy Spirit by whom the unity in the church was first made. Now Paul says here that Christians are to guard their tongue because it does incredible damage to the church. Notice that again. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. What does he mean by corrupting talk? Have you guys ever had this? You have a piece of fruit or maybe even meat. You leave it out on the counter for a little while, maybe a few days and kind of forget about it. Uh, it gets moldy or smelly. Some gnats or some flies might be starting to, to creep around it. It's really a rotten kind of fruit. Well, that's kind of the corrupting that Paul has in mind here. And you're not going to take that fruit or let's say even meat 
And you're not going to serve it up to anybody. You're definitely not going to put it in your own body, right? It's going to make you sick. Well, Paul's teaching here is simple. In the same way, as a church, don't pass on putrid and filthy and disgusting talk to other people. It's going to make them sick. Throw that stuff in the trash where it belongs. You know, according to uh, news reports, a foodborne illness in Africa is a major public health problem. Uh, right below, well, tuberculosis, malaria, and HIV. And according to the World Health Organization, in Africa, foodborne hazards are responsible for over 137,000 illnesses, or excuse me, deaths, and 91 million illnesses every year, mostly affecting children under the age of five. And one of the most serious foodborne outbreaks happened just a few years ago in 2019 in South Africa. Um, listeriosis, a serious foodborne illness, there was a breakout. And the cause, it was discovered, was lunch meat. Now that lunch meat was contaminated with a bacteria that was found in animal feces. Government inspectors were able to trace the source back to just one factory producing that lunch meat. But that listeriosis had sickened more than 1,000 people and killed more than 200 people by the time that they found that out. Friends, the Apostle Paul says here that those who use their tongue in an ungodly way are guilty of spiritual food poisoning. A small batch of corrupting talk can infect and sicken the body of believers. As believers, we need to guard our tongues so that they don't become factories spewing out filthy, corrupting talk so that we don't sicken the body of Christ. You've got a powerful tool in your mouth. How are you using it? You know, I probably don't worry about persecution against the church as much as I should. Maybe you're thinking, John, how can you not worry about persecution against the church? We are in China, after all. Um, Mother's Day, I think something significant happened here in this church and during Mother's Day a few years ago. Yeah, I should probably worry about persecution a little bit more. I don't worry about per persecution against the church, however, as much as I do corruption from within the church. We don't need outside persecution to destroy the church. We have our own tongues. Christian mouths can do more damage to the church than government persecution. You know what I'm worried about when it comes to dangers to the church? You want to see how the church can be destroyed? Watch how people use the tongue. If you want to see the church implode, turn Christians against each other. Backbiting, slander, and gossip. You want to see the church crumble, just criticize everything you don't like about the church, its leaders, the servants of the church. Go home after the service every Sunday and with your mental checklist, uh, just go through everything that could have been done better or should have been done better. If you want to see the church judged by God, just grumble against God Himself. God, you haven't given us a nice enough space. You haven't given us enough people. You haven't given us the right leaders. Our leaders aren't leading us in the right direction. God, this is all your fault. You'd be in great company 
That's what Israel did in the wilderness. You want to see the church corrupted? Just allow false teaching to come into the church. Don't question anybody's doctrine. Don't ask them to explain the, do- the, the gospel and what that is. Don't ask them to clarify who Jesus is. You want to see the church sullied? Just allow vulgarity, profanity within the church. Allow blasphemy against God within the church. Friends, I could go on. Uh, you want to see the church dirty? Go to social media and watch Christians attack each other. Never seen each other before. Character assassinations. Great way to damage the church is to use social media. Put off corrupting talk, Paul says. Watch your mouths. You've got a powerful God-given tool. How are you using it? It's the first thing Paul is telling us, but he also tells us, put off this, but then he says, put on this. So the second thing we need to see in this passage is put on gracious talk. Put on gracious talk. Do you want to see the church built up? Do you want to see yourself grow in godliness as a Christian? I know I do. And Paul is saying here, if you want to see that happen, use your tongue in God-glorifying ways. Your mouth can be used to worship God more deeply. Pray to Him more fervently. The more that your mouth is used to glorify Him. And I worry about someone who calls themselves a Christian, but who curses like a sailor, who gossips like a talk show host, or who blasphemes like a pagan, because that is a sign of an unchanged heart. A dead heart. A heart without Christ. The sign of someone who has new life in Christ is that they're not only free from that kind of talk, but they're using their mouth to bless and not curse. They're using their mouth to encourage other Christians, to help them grow in the faith. God cares deeply about guarding the tongue because it's one of the keys to living a godly life. So Paul tells us here as well when he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. This fits the occasion. Now why? That it may give grace to those who hear. So there's your motivation at the end of the verse to use your tongue in a gracious way. To build up the church, to give grace to those who hear. Friends, the the tongue, your tongue, is like a divine construction tool. Think of it like a spiritual hammer. You know, a hammer's got two different uses, right? You can take a hammer and you can nail carpeting to the floor. You can hang drywall. You can install windows. You can put roofing tiles on the top of a building. That's building up. A hammer can also be used to tear up the carpet, to tear down the drywall, to smash windows, to rip tiles off the roof. Right? That's tearing down and destroying. And friends, you've got a powerful tool in your mouth. And Paul says, you've got a job to do with it. Build up the church and build up other Christians with that tool. And just think of some of the ways Scripture speaks of how the tongue is life-giving and helps us build each other up in grace. Psalm 34, for example, What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. 
seek peace and pursue it. Or if you want to see lots of good teaching on the tongue, the book of Proverbs alone has at least 70 verses that talk specifically about the use of the tongue and how it brings grace in life. Proverbs 12, for example, the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You want to grow in grace. You want to grow as a Christian. Use your tongue to build up others in God's grace. And yet maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, that sounds nice. Really hard to get my mouth under control. I mean, how often have you said something and you immediately want to take it back? You know, I really put my foot in my mouth that time. I asked if that was her mother and it was actually her sister. Wish I could have taken that back. Uh, how much worse is it, though, when we say something offensive to God? Uncontrolled use of our tongues can get us into serious trouble. Charles Spurgeon once pointed out that five words from Zechariah cost him 40 weeks of silence. There's many times where people are sorry that we spoke, but there are very few times that we regret biting our How can you learn to use your tongue wisely to get it under control? Different ways of doing that. I wonder if this ever happened to you as a kid. Maybe your parents have a tool to teach you how to control your mouths, use your tongues wisely. I don't know, in some households, uh, they have a jar that you put in the kitchen or something like that. And every time you swear or say something you're not supposed to say, to put a dollar in the jar or whatever coinage or money in your home country. Now, some parents use that to sort of punish their kids. They'll learn you need to stop swearing. It's going to cost you. Not in my house growing up. You know, I know what tool my parents had to teach us use our mouths wisely and have no corrupting talk come out of our mouths. They didn't have a jar. had a bar of soap. I can still taste it. Orange dial soap in the bathroom. We said something wrong. It was a trip to get our mouths washed out with soap. Friends, in a much, much better way, God has a mechanism or a method for helping us to clean out our mouths and learn to control the tongue. And I'm glad it's not a bar of soap. Cleaning your mouth out with soap is just like washing the outside of a bowl. Not, not going to do you much good. You've got to get the inside of the bowl. Same thing with our mouths and our hearts. You don't need to just wash the outside. You need to clean out your heart if you want to learn to control your tongue. You need to clean out the heart with the grace of Christ. You want to get your tongue under control, wash the heart. You need a divine cleansing of the Holy Spirit. You want to get control of your tongue? You need to stop talking and actually start listening. Listening to what Jesus has to say. You need to go to the only man, the God-man, who spoke words good for building up, who always had gracious words to build others up in faith. And His words always gave grace to those who hear. You ever notice how many times in the Gospels Jesus said, He who has ears, let him hear. Why? Because He's the authoritative speaker. Listen to Him. Or did you ever notice 
God the Father said on the Mount of Transfiguration to those who are watching this miraculous event unfold, He said, this is My beloved Son whom I love. Listen to Him. Or remember in John chapter 6, how Jesus miraculously fed over 5,000 people and then He walks on water demonstrating His control over earthly provision and earthly power. Supernatural events. You remember how people are enthralled by that, by Jesus' ability to feed people with earthly bread. And they're enthralled by His power to command the waves. But do you remember what Jesus said to those massive crowds? His fan base. They're ecstatic over Jesus because they see Him as their bread factory and their circus. But Jesus says to them, you don't come to Me for salvation. You don't come because you believe in Me. You only come to Me because your stomachs are full and you enjoyed the show. He says, if you don't come to Me because you believe in Me, you have no part of Me. If you don't believe in Me, all the bread shows, all the bread factories in the world, all the circus shows, all the healing stations in the world aren't going to do you any good. When the crowds heard that, they turned away. Then Jesus turns to His twelve disciples. And he asks them, what about you? Are you going to desert me as well? Remember what his disciples say? To whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Friends, true and godly disciples of Jesus Christ don't simply go to him for his earthly power and his earthly provision. True and godly disciples of Jesus Christ go to Him to hear, to listen to His gracious words of eternal life. Turn to Jesus to hear Him speak pure, godly words that impart everlasting life. To whom else shall you go? There's no other place to go. He alone has the words of everlasting life. And Jesus' words of life change the heart from a corrupted wellspring of sin and filth to a spring of life and grace. We need help to guard our tongue. We need to learn good use of the tongue and avoid evil use of the tongue. And the way to do that is by seeking God's help and allowing God to control your heart. The only way that you can ever learn to get such a dangerous tool under control is by fully yielding to the Lord no matter the cost. And I don't mean just an intellectual assent that Jesus is Lord and God is Savior. I mean your entire heart. All control. Your thoughts, your will, your passions, your pleasures, your desires, your affections. Everything must be submitted to Christ as Lord. And when Christ reigns over your heart, He will rule what comes out of it. The solution to tongue control is heart change. To have Christ in you. And when Christ rules your heart, what comes out of your mouth can be something beautiful and glorifying to God. After all, Jesus did say in Matthew 12, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your heart's like a reservoir. And the gate at the bottom is like your tongue. When you open your gate, what comes out? Someone who's spewing slander, someone who is unforgiving, someone who is ungrateful, someone who blasphemes God. Jesus says, 
those are signs of an unrepentant heart. Someone who has truly encountered Jesus, who listens to Him, who submits to Him, will show a mouth that builds others up in grace. God truly cares about your tongue because it's a God-given tool to express what is truly in your heart, your love for Him, your submission to Him. Friends, when you give your entire being to Jesus' Lordship, watch what happens. Because while I can't think of anything more dangerous to your life and to the church than the tongue, I also can't think of anything more beautiful and beneficial to the church than the human tongue that is controlled and ruled by Jesus. Godly, righteous, Christ-filled, God-glorifying, encouraging, faithful Christians are the backbone of the church. We need godly people speaking words of grace to build up this church, every church. And so just think in closing here about some of the ways that that happens. Every Lord's Day, every week, that we can build each other up through the beneficial use of your tongue. And first of all, the tongue has the power to build up the church through the preaching of the Word. Every Lord's Day, right? Paul talks about the power of preaching in Romans 10, for example, when he says, how then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Friends, God can save people however He wants. He's God. But He's promised to save people through the preaching of the Word. That's why it's called a means of grace. And build up the church through preaching of the Word. But also, number two, the tongue has the power to build up the church through praise. You are to address one another, Paul says later in Ephesians 5, verse 19, through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Addressing, singing, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Through praising God together through the vertical element, you're also helping each other horizontally as a church to build each other up in, in Christ. That's what Paul's point is there. So friends, be sure to get here on time every Sunday. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on that praising God together. But number three, the tongue has the power to build up the church through prayer. Through prayer. You have an opportunity to do that tonight. The evening service. I know that one of the things you devote yourselves over to in that service is prayer. You build each other up in that way. If I can mix my metaphors here, prayer together is like a gardening system. It, it weeds out sin, it waters the seed of the gospel, and it shines on our hearts God's grace. Prayer is essential to building up the church. But also number four, the tongue has the power to build up the church through personal, intimate, discipling relationships. Something you do as a church when you covenant together, isn't it? If you read through your covenant vows, you promise to speak truth and love to each other. Right? That sometimes means calling somebody out in their sin or someone uh, knowing the, the struggles in your own life, but also having an encouraging word when you see someone who is growing in gifts of the Holy Spirit, you speak to someone about that. And that means the Christian life is not lived in isolation, but with each other as the church. And also finally, number five, the tongue has the power to build up the church through 
passing on of the gospel. Martin Luther once said, it's the the duty of every Christian to be Christ to his neighbor. If I could tweak that a little bit for this passage, I'd say it's the duty of every Christian to speak Christ to his neighbor. Because your speech just might be the means through which God speaks those words of eternal life to someone else. Those words that the disciples heard in Christ, those words that the disciples passed on to others and built up the the early church, and those words that you have inherited. Pass on the gospel. It's a way of building up the church. Well, friends, we must conclude. God has spoken to us through this passage. He's given us words to build us in grace. He's given us spiritual tools to build healthy, unified, God-exalting churches. He's also given you your tongue to glorify Him, to communicate His grace to others. If that's the case, Christians are to care about using your tongues for the good of your neighbor and for glorifying God. So church, live distinctly in this world by guarding your tongue and glorifying God with it. Please pray with me. Our gracious God and ever-blessed Father, who spoke through men of old as they were carried along by your Holy Spirit, we ask now that as we meditate on these words that we've just heard, these words of eternal life, we pray that you would help us to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. Help us to embrace and never hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have promised us and given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.